This episode of the Badass Ladies Club is sponsored by Badass Retreats. It's time to make your healing a priority. Find out more at www.blcbadassretreats.com. Hello, badasses. Welcome to this week's episode of Badass Ladies Club. I'm Jessica. I'm here with my bestie, Laurie. Hey, what's up, badasses? And today we're talking to Gary Walden, one of my favorite people. Hey. So happy to be here. I know. We're excited. Um, But before we get started on our conversation, we, of course, have to talk about this week's Badass of the Week. So as usual, this week's Badass of the Week is somebody that I have known because I've worked as her assistant so many times, like over the years of my career, it is badass entrepreneur, makeup artist and product developer, Leslie Munsell of Beauty For Real. Um, Leslie, it's so funny because in our orbits, like about the time I got into Aveda was about the time that Leslie was moving out of Aveda. So she was always like this iconic makeup artist that I had, you know, followed her career and watched all of her work when I was young and coming up. And then the handful of times that I've gotten to assist her or work with her at shows, um, she's just always so real and gracious and does beautiful, wearable, on-point makeup but not just for your like typical runway model for women of every age, for women of every color, for real people that are out there in the world wearing makeup. And so it was no surprise when beauty for real, her makeup brand launched that I ended up with an artist kit of it. And I got a chance to try out all of the products and am now straight obsessed with some of the things in her makeup. Best mascara I've ever used in my life. High def mascara changing my life on a daily (laughs) basis. Um, so all the things aside, the fact that she creates real products for real women that actual people can wear and fall in love with, I um, I commend her for that because I know that product development is something that's so tricky. Also, but that lip scrub. The lip scrub. <laughs> all of the lip glosses and lip shades that have the light and the mirror. So, like, if you're in a dark club, you can touch up your lips because your lip gloss applicator has a light and a mirror. And, like, there's a million things we could talk <laughs> about. But... Leslie, you are a badass. We are sending you a badass box and we cannot wait to get you on this podcast so we can talk more about what you're up to. I'm into it. All right. Cool. Okay. So let's get into right. today's topic with Gary. Gary, how are you? I'm great. Aww. This place is amazing. Thank you. Oh We're really excited about it. We love it here, our new studio home. I mean, we claim it as our own. Though. I know, like we did all the work. It's really Paul's, <laughs> but, but whatever. Here, it's fine. So we spend a lot of time here. Um, so just as a background, um, I, I do want to get into t- into today's topic, but I have known Gary since I was very young. I grew up with you cutting my mom's hair. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you are a hairstylist. You yes. um, did you start at an Aveda salon? Yes. Was that, so you started in the Aveda culture. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, when the first salon I worked at uh, was actually one of the first Aveda salons in Texas. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Concept. Because concept didn't really become a thing until like the late 80s. Yeah. So when I started working at that salon, we carried multiple lines and it was within a year that we had become concept. Gotcha. So that was all, you know, 
early days of going to Congress in Minneapolis, and and it was such a it was it was a big network, but it was a much smaller network than it is now. Yeah. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, um, because I grew up watching Gary do my mom's hair, he is a big reason why I do what I do today and why I got into Aveda in the first place, because I grew up in those salons watching him mm-hmm. do his craft. And um, so I grew up with my mom buying Aveda products and all that. So thank you for yeah. well, I, everything. I, I, I'm like completely uh, humble by your remarks there because I've knowing you since you were a little girl I've always thought that you could do anything whatever it is you set your mind to and I've seen you do anything I'm going to be a college student and I'm going to do this I'm going to be an actress I'm going to be a model and I'm going to be in fashion shows (laughs) I wanted to do a lot of things you you know walking (laughs) runways to doing hair and makeup at New York Fashion Week yeah astounding and incredible <laughs> and talk about you know seeing something developing a vision and and pushing through with it it's yeah. it's pretty admirable thank you so much it's so sweet um so today we're talking about anger anger <laughs> which is a concept that keeps on coming up with us Laurie. well i told gary like since we did our little planning session for today's episode i feel like anger has been a topic on so many things everywhere like it just keeps popping up and it's um and primarily this idea of like unresolved anger or not being able to express anger for whatever reason mm-hmm. um but on the heels of 2020 and then 2021, I might add as well, has been a mm. doozy for us being <laughs> three months in. Um, the, there's a lot of anger out there for all of us to be processing and digesting and trying to figure out what to do with it and where to go with it. Um, but one of the pieces of our conversation that I didn't really expect that I love is this juxtaposition of it doesn't matter if you express your anger that a lot of times that gets misunderstood and that there's a price to pay for that but on the flip side if you just hold your anger in and you don't express it there's also a price to pay for that like it seems like on the spectrum of anger it doesn't matter how you handle it that somewhere there's a price to pay for all of that. It's a real uh, schizophrenic position that we found ourselves in. And I think especially in the last year, since most of our interactions with each other have been virtual, Mm -hmm. not in person. So if you have a friend that you're texting with or communicating with virtually somehow, and they are trying to express even, even mild disappointment, let's not even talk about anger, it may come across as ambivalence or extremely angry, mm-hmm. and you're not sure which exactly that is. And that could trigger uh, a certain response in you that may uh, turn into something that is not very productive. God, especially, <laughs> yes, especially in a virtual world. It's, it's tough because... Yeah, it's like it's a lose-lose situation almost like you're an asshole if you express it and then you're an asshole if you don't like because you should stand up for, you know, for what you believe in. And, you know, I think that either way you get in trouble. So how do you navigate that? Well, And we're constantly being barraged with messages with messaging, like one on the one hand, express your be right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, be you, you be you. How many times have you heard that mm-hmm. in this last year? You be you, 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 
you do you. You That's do you. Yeah, yeah, forgive me. <laughs> and then, but then on the other hand, we're running around in t-shirts saying, be kind, mm -hmm. show love, not hate, blah, blah, blah. And, and so, and I've had this, I've found myself in this circumstance where I did express, where I've expressed anger and it, and later I was accused of being a hater Right. Like I was hating on somebody because I was telling them that I was angry with some of their behavior or an action that they took, which I felt telling them was entirely appropriate. Because but the isn't that, that just really holding terrible. accountability? Like right. people just don't like being held accountable, which is really the root of the issue. <laughs> it, it kind of is because it's it's and it's a gaslight moment. Yeah. Right. So I know that you've we've all had experiences of this, you know, gaslighting concept, but I feel like in this last year, it has been much more pervasive. Yeah. So real quick, can we explain what gaslighting is? Because I think that especially for some older adults that I talk to, especially behind my chair, like gaslighting is a completely new word that they don't know what that means. Mm -hmm. So I'm so really bad with words. So Go for it. <laughs> like, someone else do it. So I, I, and I may have this, wrong so forgive me if it is but as far as my understanding of gaslighting it's uh if you think of the physical manifestation of gaslight right like let's say you have a gas stove and you have to go turn it on by by lighting a match mm -hmm. right so this is uh this is when you're in conversation with someone and uh they know a trigger that they can pull mm -hmm. in order to exact a specific response out of you. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's a passive aggressive way of arguing with someone because you can, <laughs> you can, it's kind of like the whole bless your heart kind of <laughs> okay. you gotcha. can sit there and pass along all of this, all of these triggers to another person. But it's when they respond in a negative manner, uh, you can say, oh, my gosh, you're know, so angry. You're like, so angry. Yeah. What's that about what's, what's when you knew it was for, like, gotcha? Why would you say that to me? Mm -hmm. Gotcha. OK, <laughs> when, when no, that's really a great they knew how to manipulate you from the beginning to get you to hit that trigger, to get you to react, you know, like it's mm -hmm. a premeditated uh, movement there. But I also think because, yeah, I mean, gaslighting definitely happens and evokes anger out of people that otherwise might not be angry. But I also wonder how much like just this invention of social media and something something happens, you're angry about it, you get on social media, you vent about it, and then everybody wants to judge you based off of that initial reaction that you mm -hmm. had that you you know, and that that is a trap that mm -hmm. didn't exist 20 years ago, you know, like and yeah. and not and I know for myself, I'm try to be so careful about what I put on social media because I want to be perceived, you know, like one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Um, but that being authentic to the way you feel in the minute, in the moment doesn't always get you judged with people that can see you face to face, you know, like that it's a lot easier to misunderstand someone if you're watching something on Facebook or if it's just a text message or if it's something that, you know, like, and so that losing of context that comes with communicating with people in person mm -hmm. gets misconstrued and gets you labeled as somebody who's angry, not in touch, you know, like in the judgment that comes from that. Um, we're very not forgiving. 
when people are, you know, venting about what's going on in social Mm -hmm. media, even people that I vehemently disagree with, you know, and I don't like what they're saying, like, um, I'm starting to become aware of the fact that maybe you just need to allow people a moment to have a, you know, like to have their reaction, you know, and that that's not always a solid judgment on their character or who they are as a person, you know, and that in a polarized world where we live, that's a really hard thing to grasp, you know, um, especially for generations who didn't understand life before there was text communication and or social media, you know, stuff. Um, cause I just feel like some of the people that I see that are out there acting a fool on social media, I know them on a personal level, you know? And so I can kind of take my personal relationship with them and put it up against maybe the way that they're behaving in this angry way and be like, I see where he's coming from. I see where she's coming from. I know that that's not what, where their heart is, you know, Mm -hmm. and that maybe they're just having a moment and that that is sorely needed when we're talking about expressing anger, you know, like if you're angry that you need to be able to get that out somehow. Um, And how do we talk about that in a way that isn't going to get you labeled? Yeah. How do you, how do you prevent, how do you get it out there without being perceived as a raving lunatic? Right. You know, my, uh, my mother passed 15 years ago and she was a person, she was the, she was the youngest child of three. And I think she, uh, she was born with a, with a disability. And so she had a tough time growing up getting people to acknowledge her to listen to her. She was the youngest of three kids. Her older brother and sister were busy, 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 always doing things and always getting lots of attention. And then on top of it, in the 1950s in in uh, Texas, a disabled person was an invisible person. So um, so she developed this this way to express anger that was louder than anything else on the planet that was happening. And so this <laughs> <laughs> the house I grew up in was my father being the uh, the calm, rational, always trying to get people to sit down and calm down. And then my mother's running around the house saying, I'm going to raise hell. Right? <laughs> so so I was always I was we were always kind of looking at these two things. And there were so many times in life where I would say, I want to grow up, grow up and be more like my father or Actually, no, I want to be more like her, where I just, you know, where where nobody's going to mess with me because I'll just steamroll (laughs) right over you. Mm -hmm. And so uh, becoming a hairstylist and learning how to communicate with people face to face, one on one, building rapport, building trust, listening as much as I can without talking and trying to pick up on cues. Um, taught me much more about being rational, like my dad. Mm-hmm. However, there is there are a lot of components of my personality that are definitely my mother. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Four Seasons with Carol Burnett and yes, Alan Alda. So there's this movie. scene where they're having this argument, and he's and he's like just like my dad, and he's like, I'm enraged. He looks at her and says, I'm enraged. Stone face. You're enraged? (laughs) Really? This is enraged? And she says, you might want to stomp your foot or something. And then she goes, here, try this. (laughs) 
like crazy. And I, I watched that scene. I laugh, it makes me laugh so hard. But also, it's kind of, it is kind of our internal struggle, and and I, it's always our internal struggle. But I think even more so in this last year where. We haven't had a whole lot of face-to-face interaction yet. If you think about the uh, events that we've witnessed in this last year that are trigger moments for every single emotion we could possibly produce, Mm -hmm. uh, where do you put all of it? Where do you put your anger? Where do you put your tears? Where do you put your, uh, you know, satisfaction even? Um, I know that a lot of times I'm always... And I've always been this way, but I've been this way this last year. You know, Chris and I will be watching my partner, Chris and I will be watching some political something. And we're both like, "Ah." and, uh, but I'll tell him, I'll say, you know, we need to put this into production. We need to take this energy that we're feeling right now and we need to put it into something productive locally. We need to, you know, stack this up and do something with it. And sometimes we can, and sometimes, you know, we go to bed and the next morning we're like, yeah, that was a good thought. <laughs> Going <laughs> on with our day. Like, yeah. yeah, I got to get to work now. <laughs> Have fun with that. But uh, so I, and, and I do think that that productivity is something that is good to channel uh, that anger into. But it's not always possible. And I really think we need to learn how to like Lori was saying earlier, better understand, try to look beneath the anger response and try to find the intention behind mm-hmm. it. Uh, remember who you're thinking about. Yeah. If you see someone that you know behave in a way that, that you think they're being a lunatic, when, you know, think about who they are, think about your history with them, consider what their intentions might actually be, and then let them have their moment. Then you can come around and say, hey, why don't we do something productive with this? I love that. You know, just last night I was on Facebook and someone I know posted this meme that I'm totally going to butcher this. But the idea of this meme was, you know, when COVID started, um, you were all afraid of getting sick and dying, but now you're afraid of living. And it was like this really judgy, like, you know, don't be afraid to live kind of thing. And it upset me. It really angered me. Um, But the only thing that I could think of this way of thinking that I've adopted over 2020 and now into 2021, with a few exceptions, because people are batshit crazy sometimes, but that... (laughs) we're all just doing the best we can. Mm -hmm. And I know that my friend who posted that is just doing the best she can. Like Laurie's doing the best she can. Gary's doing the best he can. Like, you know, we're all just doing the best we can. You may still be an asshole, but we're doing the best (laughs) we can, you know? And, um, (laughs) just, I believe in giving people grace. I just do. And sure. There are people who have probably messed up too many times or burned me too many times to keep on allowing that, you know, there's a line between keep on allowing abuse and, you know, and showing grace. Like there's obviously a line, but. Well, that's, that's a line when it, it, that's when it turns into your participation, Mm -hmm. 
right? When you don't draw the line, when you don't step away from a person or a situation that you need to step away from for your own health, now you're just participating. Now you're an active participant in the abuse. Well, and I also think that people who have a uh, inclination to go to, be it anger and or posting shitty memes that are judgy and make people feel bad about their choices, you know, like I'm constantly trying to decide, are you somebody who fills my cup or are you someone that drains me dry? Mm -hmm. You know, and if you are somebody who usually fills my cup and you're having a bad moment, it's a lot easier for me to step out of that and be like, give them grace. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you're somebody that every interaction I have with you, be it personal or on social media or in whatever respect we're working together, that I walk out of that situation and I feel drained consistently that's that's a hard no for me you know like i will move no, on that's a great way of putting it yeah because it's everybody has a moment you know like and i it, to the, your point about the meme you know like do you know how many times i almost share memes where i'm like i laughed at it i felt it you know like i totally agree with it but do i want that to represent me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no i don't you know and then i'll hold it back and i'll send it to you on the on my text message and be like, it, you know? let's laugh so, about this in private. Yeah, yeah, like I just, I think that there are uh, ways of determining, like, yes, you deserve grace, or no, you don't deserve to share time and space with me because it is too draining to be around you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's just, it's hard because I think that, and especially being a mom, I'm like, how do I teach my daughter? healthy methods of dealing with anger i mean what do i do well, especially <laughs> being a woman yes you're a woman you don't show anger and you're trying to talk teach your daughter healthy expressions of anger that that's a tougher one because i do think that even even now in 2021 i do believe that women are always always judged more harshly on their expression of anger uh we saw it just this last week after the Meghan Markle interview. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, it's, you know, regardless what you think of her or what you think of even about the things that were discussed in the interview, um, the automatic response by some people to automatically paint her as a person who has uh, heavily influenced her husband mm -hmm or manipulated him or right. manipulated a situation or you know, it goes on and on and on and on. And it, she's just telling her story. Yeah. That's yeah, That's something doing. that I do not understand with everyone being upset about Meghan Markle because full disclosure, I have the interview recorded. I have not watched the whole thing, but I've seen the important parts come out since the interview was released. And I mean, I, heard someone talking about this and I agree with it wholeheartedly. It's like, and if we're talking about, you know, Meghan Markle's thoughts of suicide, mm -hmm. um, it's like Meghan Markle isn't going to see all your shitty comments on Facebook about how privileged she is and how she knew what she was getting into and cry me a fucking river, Meghan Markle, like you're a princess, whatever. She's never going to see those comments, but your friends and family will. Mm -hmm. And, I know if I'm ever struggling with my mental health, guess who I'm not going to, right. you know, is like all those people who are judging her and they act like that's something to be taken lightly. And like, even though she's 
a royal or married into the royal family, I guess, um, that her story is somehow not valid. It's valid because they were watching it. Okay, like if that's really the way you felt about it, then you had better things to do than watch that interview. Like I have zero respect for people that want to shit on somebody for telling their truth and speaking their truth, especially when Oprah wants to ask you about it. Right. But then talk smack after the fact. Like if you really thought that Meghan Markle was such a you know disaster, then why did you even give that interview your time? Mm-hmm. You know, like it's just stirring the pot for the sake of stirring the pot, you know, and, and think about so think about the interview. And think about what if she was angry? Oh, oh, oh my God. She would be like, blacklisted. What if, was, yeah. what if she really showed up to that interview ready to like take angry black woman? Gloves like, yeah, on. Totally. Like, yes. Take, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, you know, or came on there talking shit about, you know, Charles and Camilla. I thought that I mean, she was like, lovely and respectful. People, like, very, yeah. But people would have, I mean, they, they, they want to assassinate her character anyway. Mm-hmm. But if she had expressed anger, it would have been a hundred times worse. I, to your point that you have said so many times, Jessica, like if somebody had treated Adelaide the way they treated Archie, like, oh my God, raging. I, Mama yeah, Bear, I told Laurie Pierce's that the other like, day. I was like, oh my God, if I were in her position and someone came to me and was like, yeah, that's nice, but your kid's not going to get security for being in that family. Are you kidding me? And get me out of here. Right. right. Like, where's get me the F out of here? I would, yeah. And yeah. Th- honestly, I mean, like, with all of the rest of it aside, I mean, all of the interview exposed a whole lot of things. Yeah. But, take all of that aside as like, let's just say you swept all that under the rug because, you know, I like to say a lot of times I wasn't there, so I really don't know. Mm-hmm. And perception is everything. Truth. And we don't, we don't always know context, but, um, but even taking away those things, just looking at the comparison of how the press treated Kate and the Kate way the press oh, yeah. treated Megan, yeah. if I was Megan and if I was Harry, I would say I'm taking my family away from this. Yes. Because they're going to do it to Archie and they're going to do it to their little girl and it's going to go on and on. So eventually you just have to make the best decision. Well, and every family does the best that they can for their family when they're in that moment. I don't see why being royal has anything to do mm-hmm. with it. You know, like that mm-hmm. I, given the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Well, and especially after what happened to his mother, we Obviously, all watched yeah. that. I was very young when... Princess Diana passed away. But after seeing like what happened to his mom and what that kind of attention does to a family, I don't blame them. I'm like, I'd get out of that. I would too. Yeah. But um anyway, yes, to your point, if Meghan Markle had come out with, you know, gloves up, <laughs> gloves on, ready to go, oh my God. This would be a whole different ballgame all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, yeah. So You know, I was saying that after we did our little uh, conversation getting ready for today's episode, I, my psychological guru, Nicole LaPera, um, the holistic psychologist, put up a series of posts about anger. And when she defined what anger is about or where it comes from, like, man, it landed on me hard. She says, anger or intense outbursts is a sign that our needs have chronically been unmet. Mm -hmm. 
I saw that post because I'm obsessed with a holistic psychologist and I immediately thought about this episode we were about to do. Like, it's just because your needs are chronically being unmet. And when I thought about times where I was truly so angry, because anger is not my first default, like, um, but anytime that I've been like truly, truly angry, it was always on the heels of me sacrificing myself for something, you know, like where I was not doing what I needed to do to either look out for myself, protect myself from a situation, make my truth be heard, you know, like that my consistent need not being unmet is what caused my outburst or my angry reaction there. Mm -hmm. And that kind of turns the whole idea of anger on its head where it's not really about what anybody did to you. It's about how you meet your own needs and meeting those needs might be who you're spending your time around. It might be who you're subjecting yourself to all of those things. Like it's hard to be angry at people if you're not with them in their circle, in their orbit, you know, like sometimes I got to check who I'm spending my time with if I'm angry and decide, is that what's serving me? Is that meeting a need for me or is it not? Mm. Um, So tell me what you guys think of that whole idea of that anger and intense outbursts are just a sign that your needs are chronically being unmet. It makes me think of uh, the protests and riots last summer. Yeah. It's the first thing mm-hmm. I think of. Do you remember the video where the young woman is, uh, they're asking her about who set fire to the Target store or something, and she's she's deeply angry and she yells at at the person asking the question and says, you know, why are you asking me this question? You guys broke the social contract. Yeah. And so I don't care. Nobody gives a fuck about the target. Right. Because you broke the contract. And I wish I could find that video. It was it was last summer, but it was probably the most telling thing and probably the most revealing as to where we were in that moment, a contract that was broken and is consistently broken over and over and over again. So yes, you know, you have an entire community of people whose needs aren't being met and they're tired of nobody paying attention and listening. Right. Like, why do we have to scream at the top of our lungs to just simply exist right. with God-given rights? And right. then, bam, anger and outburst. You know, like the... People wonder why it happens. There you go. Like... Right. Right. And then they're consist- consistently told again that uh, now we're changing the subject to talk about the Target store. Right. You know, that's what I got in trouble with last year when I got into an interaction with someone online um, about that same thing. She Mm -hmm. was going online and talking about prayers for the city of Seattle and prayers for the people of of Portland and the business owners and all this stuff. And yes, you know, I agree with that. However, you've also not said one thing about Breonna Taylor or Sandra Bland or George Floyd or, you know, any of these other numerous cases so i know the message you're sending me is that you think that all of these protests are not valid you're invalidating the feelings of these people who are so terribly upset and wanting to focus on some broken windows and that i got really 
angry. (laughs) And I said a lot of things. And some things were really good and pointed and some things, you know, were were pretty passionate and and probably weren't uh, necessary, maybe. Well, and, you know, at the same time, I kept I walked away from that that situation and I was just kind of and I've revisited this in my head a million times again because I was kind of painted as this like, you know, uh, psychotic social media bully or something, which anybody who knows me knows that that's it's not, not the true case. That's at not all. My personality or that's not my who I am or what I'm doing. But um, but I've revisited it a million times and I've even asked myself, do I revisit this because I'm trying to be right about all of this because I'm so determined to be able to convince myself that everything that I said was justified or, you know, where am I on that, on that spectrum? And some of that, when I look at the whole event, I just, it comes down to the fact that I was angry and I think I had every justification to be angry. Hmm. I can't look at every single word that I wrote or said in that time period and be able to defend all of it as justified, but I can defend the anger as being justified. Does that make sense? Right. Well, and what I got out of your story when we talked about it in preparing for this episode was I feel like you were forced to be in a position to give this person grace, Mm -hmm. be it, but you were painted as like this bully and you were given no, no, nothing. Mm -hmm. You're like, wait, but are the lives of these people not important while she's crying about target windows? Like, you know what I mean? Like, because I know Laurie and I being in the leadership positions we are at our salon, when all that was happening for the first time in our careers, we got notices from property management saying, hey, in preparation for all the unrest going on, you may want to board up your windows. You may want to move retail away from the shelves and like open after. Right. Don't be open after dark. Don't walk outside by yourself. These are things that Laurie and I have never had to deal with in our career, you know, um, because we've never had to live through any of this being where we are, um, in the DFW area. Um, so like from a business standpoint, like I was really scared and I was like, oh my God, what if we were one of those businesses that like had nothing to do with any of this and our windows were broken. And, and then I was like, well, whatever. Like, I mean, not that that makes it like, you know, right. But if I'm, if I'm going to look at a whole situation, the loss of the lives of those people and standing up for what's right is where my heart was. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I wasn't, I don't know. I, I guess I was just, I was prepared if anything were to happen to the salon. Nothing did, thank God. Not at ours, but there were definitely uh, chairs thrown through, through windows and witch, places witch in our shopping and, center. Yeah, yeah like it, it got closer really. than I realized it was going to wow. get. Yeah, um, some places did get hit in our shopping center um, for... But I'm with you on the grand scheme of things. On the grand scheme of things, we're like, we'll take a broken window. Yeah, or, you know, was one of, no, we want to also support calling attention to the fact that life is the primary concern Mm -hmm. in this conversation. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, that it's, and what's so interesting about that polarizing conversation, no matter where you fall on it is I know that I feel so much better when I'm heard 
like that. I just want sometimes to be heard, Mm -hmm. but then there's the justice end of that conversation, you know? And I feel like when I want justice, sometimes it's that I want for you to agree with me. Mm. And sometimes that is just not going to happen, you know, like no matter how compelling my argument, no matter how good I am at words, no matter how right I may be in my own, you know, like resolve that if what I need is for the person on the other end of that conversation to agree with me, it is a useless waste of my efforts, you know, Mm -hmm. and that sometimes my, the best use of my efforts can be volunteering, donations, calling attention to things that are actually going to move the needle in the direction that whatever marginalized group needs it to move in, you know? And so I know for me, especially on, in the whole George Floyd conversation, the same in the Capitol riots, you know, Mm -hmm. like that all of those things, um, as angry as I feel about them, even today, you know, that I am, measuring my responses based on where I can have the most impact. Mm -hmm. And one thing I am a hundred percent certain of today, and this has taken a whole lot of like result holding back of myself is that I know trying to convince people that are so vehemently on the opposite end of that conversation is not the best use of my efforts, you know, like that I can make a bigger impact doing some of those other things, Um, which on one hand breaks my heart. You know, Mm because some of these people that I want so desperately to connect with on this and come to the common ground, um, I love, you know, and want to be on the same page with them. But that sometimes that's just not the way it's meant to be, you know, like. Well, and also I think that plays into just people's life experience, you know, and um, I think that so much today people are like, well, this is my life experience. So that means it's true and right. And that's not true at all. (laughs) You know, but that's been the hardest thing about, well, I can't say that. Uh, it's not the hardest thing about it, but, but one of the challenges working in the salon last year, uh, during, you know, the protests and in some cities, the protests that became riots, having these conversations with clients because they wanted to come in and discuss it. Mm. And you're having a conversation that's really important Mm -hmm. and you're behind a mask. And so are they. Yeah. And it was very challenging. I would get to the end of my day and I just, I I, had been sweating Mm -hmm. all day long underneath all of my gear (laughs) (laughs) because I'm having to have these conversations and be as graceful as I possibly can. And at the same time, make a very definite point, make sure that they understood where I stood because I didn't want them to think, you know, I I always want my chair to be a safe space, but it's not a safe space for racism. It's not a safe space for homophobia. It's not a safe space for transphobia. Mm. You can't come in and get your haircut with me and talk about that shit and do that here. It's not acceptable. So I had to try to do it in the nicest way possible. Mm -hmm. That is extremely hard. This is not, you're not safe. I know I'm white. Right. I get it. I'm white. And I work in a salon that's in an affluent area of Dallas, but that doesn't mean that I agree with you on any of these things. No. <laughs> 
say. You know, I think back to when I dropped out of college and I went into cosmetology school, one piece of advice that you gave me was, Jessica, I want you to know going into this career that you are going to have to keep up with the news. You're going to have to be well-versed in everyone's opinions and um, what's going on in the world. Because even though they tell you in beauty school, like you don't talk about sex, politics, or religion, people talk about sex, politics, and religion. They'll talk to their hairdresser about it all the time. So you told me you have to be caught up on current events and what's going on in the world. What you didn't tell me was that we'd go through a worldwide pandemic (laughs) and have so much social unrest that, um, that, yeah, um, it's 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 a weird balancing act because I want to be respectful and I definitely have clients who we you know I don't see eye to eye with politically, um, who are still wonderful people. Let me be clear, like yeah. great wonderful people, um, but somehow respectfully having a boundary of saying what you just said is not okay with me and I'm not going to allow this conversation to continue. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the hardest balancing act I've ever had to do. Mm-hmm. I think especially for you, because you have such a genuine respectful nature to you towards like speaking your truth to people, is, uh, you know, especially from behind the chair. When you are in a service based profession, mm-hmm. I sometimes think that's why people feel inclined to say those things to you because they think you have to listen to them say that, you know, like that you right. I'm get paying me. you for time. Right. I'm that... paying to be here. So you got to listen to me say what I'm going to say. And that that is maybe in years past, you know, you could get away with a little bit of that. But in today's climate, yeah, I just feel like, you know, and one of the first times that I had to stand up for myself on that, because I'll listen to a lot of bullshit. Yeah. I will. And I'll Patient. shake my head and I'll be like, mm-hmm, that's great. That's so nice. Okay. You know, um, but one of the first times that I really had to stand up for like, I'm not going to continue listening to this was a guest of mine, um, who still comes to me to this day, we hugged it out. It was fine. Um, during the Brett Kavanaugh thing said, poor guy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what'd you just say to me? (laughs) He said, well, poor guy. And he went over why poor Brett Kavanaugh. And I was like, so I know you're not a woman. So let me enlighten you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I went through like, all the college experiences I had of men feeling like I was just available to touch and to, you know, um, that so many women there, I, I have never met one woman who hasn't had an experience similar to mine or worse. Several. Yeah. Um, and he was like, okay, wow. Thank you. And he still comes to me to this day. And, um, of course he continues to vote how he votes. I continue to vote how I vote. And, but he is a paying guest who, whenever we see each other, he now knows that boundary with me that I'm like, not today. We're not doing that here. You know, it just, it used to be it. I mean, I've been a hairdresser for 31 years and it it used to be easier. Yeah. You know, so when you gave me that advice, you were, it was true at the time. It was true like, at the time. Because back then you could you could examine uh, opinions from the left and opinions from the right. And most of your disagreements uh, with a client would, would be about 
how the government collects and spends its money. That's, right. That's really that was like what, that yeah. was really most of it. I mean, you know, we had to throw in social issues every once in a while, right? But for the most part, that's what it was all about. But now it's it's things that are so deeply personal that are directly affecting the way that people live. Mm -hmm. And there are so many ways that we don't live up to the contracts uh, socially in in communities, mm -hmm. um, specifically in communities of color, but it's happened in other communities too. As a gay man, I can say that I had to, I had to educate a client all about uh, why most gay people don't hold Ronald Reagan up as the, right. you know, Jesus Christ of mm -hmm. our time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the years went by without any federal funding for AIDS research and, you know, all of these things. And she didn't know any of those things. And right. she, she did say, thank you. I didn't, I didn't know that. And I told her, I said, that's why it's why we don't trust you. Mm -hmm. It's why we don't trust you. And so, you know, for us to be able to have a better relationship, we have to get to a trust, a trusting space. And so I compare that, I sit down and I think about that. And then I think about what, how would I feel if I was a person of color in the United States? And we're always, you know, society is always telling people of color, you know, well, you can do this and you, nobody's stopping you from becoming successful. Well, Really? They're not? Because, uh, I don't know, you go to most neighborhoods that are predominantly people of color and you look at the, go and check out the public schools there and you check out the infrastructure and you check out the roads and you check out the grocery stores or lack thereof or the internet service or lack thereof. And then you expect them to uh, pull themselves up by their bootstraps and and go off and and become a successful businessman or attorney or doctor or whatever, when they have no generational wealth mm -hmm. to draw on for their college experience. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because we've, because our society has stopped all of those things from being able to become uh, curated for these com communities. You know and, what it reminds me of is that whole, like everybody has the same 24 hours in the day. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not true. Not you true. Know, like, th not true. that when you have a house cleaner and a personal chef and a driver and, you know, like you have 68 hours in a day all of a sudden, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. that we're not all operating from the same set of privilege. And that word privilege, I feel like, is a trigger for so many mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. who you know, like I grew up in the suburbs and was a part of an upper middle class family and I'm a white girl. Like I have tons of privilege, mm -hmm. you know, but I'm not going to lie. When people started talking about white privilege, like it hit a scratchy part in me where I was like, mm -hmm. yeah, but I'm not privileged, you know, like that, but I'm totally privileged. And I didn't realize that until I was educated by people who were victims of not having that privilege, you know, mm -hmm. and that, and that you don't get there without hearing things that make you really uncomfortable mm -hmm. and that in your estimation anyway, because like I also understand that whole idea of like, I'm not the bad guy. Like I didn't do anything, you know, to get I was born into this privilege, you know, that you put me in. But that doesn't mean that 
I didn't have opportunities that so many other people given the same opportunities would have a totally different life right now, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I feel like there's this space where we exist in where you got to quit defending where you came from when you come from privilege and understand that that doesn't mean anything about you personally. It exists on a fundamental level, whether we like it or not, you know, sure, like, right. mm-hmm. um, and it's okay to get it wrong. Yeah, too. totally. It's okay to get it wrong. Yes. Cause we're gonna get it wrong. So we just sometimes just have to step into a situation and already know that right. and be able to accept it. You know, when we started, uh, when, when we started, uh, vote out loud last year, you know, Vote Out Loud was uh, an initiative to reach uh, certain communities that had less access to information regarding voting. And so uh, we, our job was to cross all the T's and dot all the I's and connect all the dots for people. Because when you actually sat down and, and looked at the process of voting that's so simple for us, right? We're, we're registered. We can get on our phone and look at whether or not we're registered. And there's a place right down the street from our house where we go cast our vote, especially this last election. Mm-hmm. Where you could go to any place and do it. But if you live in one of these communities that is say an internet desert, your, your, uh, uh, your access to the internet is spotty, you know, it's not like there's a library down the street that you can run into. There's not a there's not a place where you can access this information efficiently. So you're kind of left out of the process. And so a lot of people say, I don't I don't have time. I don't have the energy to chase all of this information mm-hmm. just to find out where my district location, where my polling location is. What do I need? What do I need to bring with me? What kind of identification do I have? What are the current rules? Am I right? Because it's always changing. How do I find out about that? And yeah. if I'm not, where do I go to do that? So we decided to take all of that information and take it to them. And we'd set up tables in different neighborhoods and just we had. Uh, my partner, Christopher, became a, a registrar, and so he was able to register people on site. We had other volunteers there to get on their phones and check people's registration status, be able to find uh, the closest polling locations to their homes where some of them could walk to or a polling location that was on a dart bus uh, rail line, you know, something that was, you know, basically giving them every single... <laughs> You know, every single tool so that they could see the path that they could take and make it easier. But when we were doing that, I was like, this is really absurd. Yeah. This is absurd. Shouldn't be that hard. It should not be hard like this. As a matter of fact, the polling locations should be doing what we were doing. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Places, you know, in their own area where they can where they can walk to and get to. I mean, they vote in this in this day and age with, you know, we can I mean, you know, we can send uh, a gorilla to Mars or whatever. (laughs) Right. The fact that we can't, you know, make voting simple. Oh, my God. Well, and in countries with not a 10th of our communication abilities, you know, and way less people involved as far as staffing and money is concerned and politics get 
their constituents out to vote, you know, like in any set of circumstances, whether for me, you know, like doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And it's only going to happen by nature of people like yourself taking the initiative to mm-hmm. show your vote is important. Mm-hmm. It is valid. It is how we begin to turn, you know, a direction mm-hmm. towards policies and people in office that have your interests at heart, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but to speak to the whole greater understanding, like you said, we, we don't trust you, you know, like right. that the only way to build the trust is through the community, you know, right. and to get out there and get active in it. I did not know much about Vote Out Loud until we started to talk about it and am so excited because it's like you were uh, boots on the ground, Mm -hmm. Stacey Abrams style, but in Texas, you know, like that, um, that we watched in Georgia, I mean, straight flipped that state, you know, and not... And again, it doesn't matter what, if you're left or you're right, the point is you put the power in the hands of the right. people right. and the people can meet, create change that's going to affect their lives. And I think for so much of my life viewing politics, politics has not changed my life much. Nope. My life has not been affected by politics until the last 18 months to two years, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, mm-hmm. and that it's time for the people collectively to understand that nothing is more powerful than our ability to come together and say, no, 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 this is the direction we're taking our com- our country. Like, like it or not, there's more of us than there are of the few of you that have been playing with this power struggle. Mm-hmm. Like the people is the answer. And so anything that, uh, and we've talked about this a little bit off air, like badass ladies club is a hundred percent involved in vote out loud when in future projects, when it comes to yes, creating groundswells yes. and being able to put power back in the hands of the people who really should be running this country. That's fantastic. I'm glad yeah. to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be hitting you up. Yeah. You text us, be our, like, our listen, next, uh, you know, our next process is, is really is really digging into all of these uh, community infrastructure failures and public education failures. And that's a really challenging thing to take action on without having somebody, um, you know, on the inside of that. So we're hoping to develop some relationships uh, there. Well, and I I love that, Um, you know, we live in different counties, you and I, but... um, you know, Adelaide's about to be in kindergarten in the fall, <laughs> um, which I can't wrap my brain around. Um, the local public school that she would normally feed into, which I'm not totally against, but when researching it and looking it up is rated below average. Mm-hmm. And I've never had to worry about any of that until I had an almost kindergartner. And I had no idea. I said, below average, why, what, what's happening? And, you know, um, and obviously driving by the school, I mean, I'm not in a, I live in a neighborhood of like older homes, older people. The school is very old and rundown looking, um, to put it nicely. But, um, it really broke my heart because I was like, Cause I don't know how any of that works. Like, obviously I pay my tax dollars and I'm like, so what, what is all this going to? Why isn't this school doing better? Why isn't it helping? And why do I feel guilty about now seeking out other 
charter schools and academies for Adelaide to go to because I want a better opportunity for her. Um, that it was funny because when you had said that in the preparation for this episode, I was like, yeah, I, like I just I know nothing about that. So I'm excited to work with Vote Out Loud in the future, hopefully as Badass Ladies Club and to learn more about how we can create change, because I would have loved nothing more than to be like, oh, she's feeding into that school. Great. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that just wasn't that's not what's happening currently with mm-hmm. my situation for her. It's, it's a challenge. It's a real challenge. You know, it's a uh, public schools are funded by property taxes and so when you don't have a community that's dense in high property taxes, you're not going to have as quality of a public school system. And that is one of the biggest travesties, in my opinion, in our nation as far as public school system. Public school should be exactly that, public school, right. mm-hmm. not semi-private school, right? not public school that's better for a wealthy kid than it is yeah. for a non-wealthy mm-hmm. kid. That's not what we agreed on. Right. It's not, it's the, not contract. the contract. It's not the contract. <laughs> it's I know. The contract. And, uh, and I don't care how many times someone wants to, you know, steer that in a different direction or start talking about, you know, all of these other avenues that people are throwing out there. It doesn't matter when it comes down to it. The basic contract of public education in this country is not being honored. And I don't, doesn't matter how you shake it down, it needs to change. Mm-hmm. And people say, well, I don't, I, you know, I don't believe in Robin Hood. I don't believe in taking from the rich to give to the poor. And well, you know, then you shouldn't live in America. Because mm. that's what's. We that's what our system actually should and is about. I mean, I hate to say it, but if you if you make more money, you pay more taxes. I mean, right. that's true on a lot of fronts. Like, yeah. and you yeah. have to and you can't look at a you know, society is like a, a Jenga puzzle and your 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 weakest piece at the bottom of that jingle puzzle if you pull it out the whole thing falls apart so but if we create strength from the bottom up then we have this magnificent structure no i love that um and what i love about what you're doing on the front of public education for littles is that you're living proof of you don't have to be living in a situation where it directly affects you. You don't have kids, right? You could totally choose something else that you're, that directly, mm-hmm. you know, affects your life mm-hmm. and you're choosing to put time and energy into developing our children's future. And as a mother, I appreciate that from the bottom of my heart. Um, but I would encourage anyone listening that, you know, just because you're straight doesn't mean you can't fight for and advocate for gay people just because you don't have children doesn't mean you can't, you know, advocate for the future of our children. Like we're all in this together. That's right. I would hope, you know, and I know that that's a really kumbaya way of looking at it because we're not all dealing with the same privilege and the same, um, advantages, you know, as some people. Um, but 
But that's what, like, that's why when we created Vote Out Loud, our whole initiative was to be nonpartisan. When we went out to uh, register voters or tell people where to vote or how to vote, we didn't discuss any candidates. Of course, um, yeah. We didn't discuss any political parties. We didn't do anything. And so I think that sometimes when you have conversations with people and you bring up the baseline topics instead of steering it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at all, a lot of times we agree on a whole lot of things. Yeah. And you can get people uh, signed on and in agreement with something if they see how it affects like you said, the greater good mm-hmm. of all. Yeah. yeah. You know what I wonder as we were talking about all this public education, um, schools and teachers specifically, you know, are, have been overlooked, I think, for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so everybody keeping their kids home for a year and having to be the tutor, the Mm. teacher, you know, like fill the shoes of those teachers so much. I also don't have children, um, but I have lots of people that I love who kept their kids home this year, you know, like out of necessity. I wonder how much more effort and energy will go into supporting schools and teachers now that every all these parents have had a dose of what it's like to educate your kids and keep them home 24 seven, like (laughs) that it makes them value that school experience and that that what teachers go through and what it takes to create a conducive learning environment, because I don't think anybody will argue kids did not learn what they needed to learn this last year because doing school at home is not efficient, you know, and um, so it makes me hopeful that there will be more focus, energy, money, effort put into how we educate our kids. Because, I mean, yeah, it might not directly affect me today, but when I'm old, those kids are taking care of me, you know, like they're going to be the caretakers in my nursing home. They're going to be the people cooking my food and driving me around, you know, like that, um, that having an education system that creates quality humans that are able to go out into the world and do amazing things affects everybody at a certain mm-hmm. level, whether you like to think of it that way or not, you know, yeah. and yeah. You're, you're it's that's a really good point. I mean, those kids that are being educated in public schools, mm-hmm. they're also the ones who are going to be legislators. Yes. Mm-hmm. And creating laws Absolutely. and supporting your health care and making sure that you can be in a home Mm -hmm. if you're not a multimillionaire, you know, those are the people who are going to be making all of those decisions later. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you at my age now, it is, I'm starting to see a glimpse of it even now. Like when I'll I'll read a story about a particular, uh, you know, politician that I'm interested in or, or even a politician who has, you know, polar opposite opinions of mine, I'll still kind of look into who they are and what they're all about. And, you know, so many times they're, they're 15 years younger than me. Oh yeah. They're 20 years younger than me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, ah, <laughs> how did people, this happen? People running for office. We're always so old. <laughs> or like doctors. I feel like all of a sudden doctors have gotten really young, you know, know. but it's just that I'm getting older yeah, and they're, you know, like that's just how old they are when they start. Like, right. It happens. You're like, how is our chiropractor younger than us? It's crazy. Um, <laughs> not that old. my life. On the I know. Day, right. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, y'all. We're over an hour. It's because we, we didn't sit here even and talk get into all day. <laughs> lot of our notes that's here. okay because we'll have you usual, back great conversations we just kind of evolved shit, yeah we did to, to beautiful talk about anger and then you know yes 
something that we can do about it. Absolutely. Um, Gary, this has been so fun. We will definitely have follow-up episodes. And like I said, Badass Ladies Club is all about Vote Out Loud and being able to work together in the community in the future. Well, that's fantastic. Maybe the next time I come back, we'll be talking about some specific initiatives. Yes. Yes. So forward there. Check out the episode notes. We're going to put links in there for you guys to be able to check out Gary and see what he's got going on in uh, all of his fabulous happenings. If something in this episode like jumps out to you or you feel like somebody in your world could benefit from it, you might just share it with them. Um, Get on and write us a review and tell us we're awesome or crazy or don't know what we're talking about. All (laughs) reviews are accepted. Um, Um, Also, side note, I've gotten so many compliments on my hair since I went shorter and I just want everyone to know that Gary did my last haircut so if you're looking for a good short haircut I love mine you can go to Gary (laughs) (laughs) alright thank you guys later